like a, it's kind of like spooky sounding, I guess a little bit. Like it reminds me more of like a ghost story kind of thing. Than a... <sighs> this is supposed to be about facts. Ghosts are facts. Stuff that actually happened. (laughs) Why don't you go ahead and introduce us? All right. Hi. Welcome to History and Herstory. I'm Alex. I'm Amador. And we have COVID. We do. It's been real fun. That's not what we're going to talk about today, but... It's not, but that's why we both sound, like, bad. I think I sound fine. (laughs) I think I sound awful. (laughs) I guess we'll let the listeners decide. I don't think you sound that bad, though. I'm going to be very nasally... All my M's are going to sound like B's. And we're going to try and do our best to edit this at the end so you won't hear any of our sniffling or sneezing or coughing. But if we miss one, then that's on Alex because she's our post-production editor. Yeah, whether that's a good decision by us or not. Well, I guess we'll find out at the end of this episode whether you deserve a job in in the biz, right? Sure. Cool. Okay, well, since you're here... You probably already know that you can find us on Spotify and Anchor and Google Podcasts and Amazon Music and Stitcher and Pocket Casts and Apple. Yeah, now we're finally on Apple. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at History and History Podcast. Indeed. So last week we talked about Pompeii. We did. That was a good story. Something that everyone's heard about. No one really, I'm assuming a lot of people have very, like, surface-level knowledge. Not that, what was it, 12 feet of ash? 20 feet of ash? 20. 20 feet of ash deep knowledge of Pompeii. Mm. That was me connecting back. Good job. Last week. Um, This week is my turn, and we're going to be talking about an inventor, and his name is Garrett Augustus Morgan. Have you ever heard of him? No. Well, uh, that's, I hadn't really either. I think I'd heard the name. He kind of gets grouped in. He was, so he's an African-American inventor. So he kind of gets grouped in with, um, uh, the guy with the peanut butter. Graham Bell? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's the guy who invented the telephone. Are you sure? Yes. Alexander Graham Bell? Who, uh, well, who is the guy that did the peanut butter? Though? I can't remember. But anyway, he kind of gets grouped in like he's an African-American inventor. So he's, we'll talk about that. Anyway, he blazed a trail for other African-American inventors, and he still has many inventions that are in use today, and that's what we're going to talk about later. But we'll start with him being born, because there's not really a better place to start, right? Before you start. Sure. Can I Google this? Because I'm going to be thinking of it the entire time that you're talking, and I'm not going to hear a word that you say. Sure. Okay. Are you sure it's not Alexander Graham Bell? He didn't uh, do telephones, and then 100%. he was like, you know what? These peanuts need some butter. Alexander Graham Bell's white. Is he? Yeah. Oh. Who invented peanut butter? We'll go ahead and cut all this in post, too. No, we won't. This is what the people came to see. <laughs> I don't think it's right. Marcellus Gilmore Edson? Nope. Well, I just Googled who invented peanut butter, and this is who came up, so... I don't think it's an invention of peanut butter. I think it's like using peanuts for various... George Washington Carver? There you go. George Washington Carver is I, mean, I was thinking Carver, of. Graham Bell, they're... Not close at all. Like I said, <laughs> George Washington Carver is African-American. He's probably the most well-known African-American inventor because he did so many things with peanuts. Peanut butter being one of them. I think there was a comedian that did a big joke about when he invented peanut butter. He, he probably didn't like tell everyone right away. Like, if I invented peanut butter, I probably would have kept that a secret, too, for a little while. Been like, <laughs> Was it Bill Burr? No. It was sure? um, the guy that was on 
Silicon Valley, the one who got canceled. Silicon Valley. Silicon, Silicon Valley. Either way, it was the the guy with um, red hair, big curly hair. He's in Deadpool. Oh. This is really great for our podcast listeners. Yeah, this is what, like I said, this is what people came to see. <laughs> <laughs> to see, specifically. Right. Um, anyway, he did a joke about um, Carver, about inventing peanut butter and not telling anyone, because keep that a secret. Mm. And just keep it all to yourself. Anyway, we're not talking about George Washington Carver <laughs> or Alexander Graham Bell. We are talking about Garrett Augustus Morgan, who was born March 4th, 1877, in Paris, Kentucky. Not Paris, France. And not Paris, Texas. Or any of the other Parises that are not. in the United States and are not... <laughs> Kentucky. <laughs> the, they're all named after... The city in France and all these like minor little cities, little towns, you really call themselves Paris. I wonder if Paris, Kentucky has an Eiffel Tower. I think Paris, Texas does. Why wouldn't they? I mean, I guess, yeah, at that point you might as well lean in fully. Anyway, so he, he's born on March 4th, 1877. So let's talk about what's going on in 1877, right? Mm-hmm. This is um, just after the Civil War. So... In the west, out in our area, Battle of Wolf Mountain. This is where Crazy Horse and his warriors fought their last battle with the United States Cavalry in our home state of Montana. In what is now a National Historic Landmark near Bernie, Montana. You know where Bernie is? Nope. B-I-R-N-E-Y. No. Nope. Southeast Montana. So it's like close to Yellowstone. Okay. So if you... We should probably go out and visit it at some point, you know, and actually go see historic sites in the state. I mean, if you've been to southeast, I guess, the entire east side of Montana once, you see it's brown. Yeah, but, like, not all of eastern Montana is a historic battle field. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't know. I think it'd be cool if we we ever end up in that area. You could fool me, but I'll go. (laughs) So, uh, also going on in 1877, President Rutherford B. Hayes is sworn in as the 19th President of the United States. Now, his was a contentious election uh, because he didn't win the popular vote, nor did he win the Electoral College votes. The unpopular vote. Right. He, so, neither him nor his opponent got enough Electoral College votes. So, that means it has to go to the House of Representatives, and the House of Representatives picked him, even though he didn't have the popular vote. Now, back in that time, you probably, I mean, really any time, it probably should go to the person with the most votes, the most total votes, if they don't win the Electoral College. Anyway, this what is a, democracy, though? Right, I mean, and even in 1877, they were having problems with presidential elections, so. Stop the count, you know what I mean? Because Electoral College <laughs> is bullshit. <laughs> So, um, also in 1877, Gilmore's Gardens in New York City holds the first Westminster Kennel Club dog show. So, all you people who are fans of Animal Planet and watch, watch the dog show every year, this is the first one. I've seen a couple, like a handful. Of dog shows? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm real familiar with the Puppy Bowl. Not in person. Also on Animal Planet, but right. not the same thing. <laughs> um, the dog show is very good for witnessing that phenomenon where... Dogs look like their owners. Oh, I, yes. Very much so. Very much stand by that. The All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club begins its ver- its first lawn tennis tournament at a little place called Wimbledon mm. in 1877. So, you know, only the most famous tennis tournament in the world. Name another one. Is right. 
<laughs> Sorry, all you tennis fans out there. We're not tennis fans, so. Who we know. Everybody that listens to this podcast is people that we know. Anybody that we listen that listens to this, do you actually play tennis? I don't think I know a single person that, like, seeks out tennis. We've played. I mean, you and I have played. But, like. Recreationally. Yeah. Very recreationally. Just because we've good. played tennis once or twice before in our lives, like, I couldn't name another thing other than Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, okay, also in 1877, American astronomer Asaph Hall discovered Deimos, which is the outer moon of Mars. And I'm a big Doom nerd, the Doom the video game franchise, and those games take place on the moons of Mars. So I put that one in there for me and my nerd friends that listen to this. Well. <laughs> um, for any Sabaton fans, I guess, 1877, Battle of Shiroyama in Japan. Where the Imperial Japanese Army is destroyed and heavily, by uh, heavily outnumbered and gunned, they destroy all the samurai that are left. It's uh, what they call the last stand of the samurai, if you're Sabaton. So that's fun. Fascinating. And finally, um, and it relates heavily to what we, we're going to talk about tonight, uh, Thomas Edison announces that he's invented the phonograph in 1877, his first great invention. Cool. So he's inventing the phonograph, the thing that we use to listen, I mean, essentially listen to music now. To this day, I mean, it was it's the precursor to MP3s and all that stuff. Sure. Because it went phonograph, record player, 8-track, cassette tape, right? CD, MP3. Something like that. Yeah. I Probably. Mean, <laughs> I wasn't there, but I, I assume that sounds right. Anyway. So, um, let's get back to talking about Mr. Garrett Morgan. His father was Sidney Morgan, and he had been a slave uh, that was freed in 1863 when Abraham Lincoln famously signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Emancipation Proclamation. Always tough for me to say. His dad or this guy that we're talking about? No, no, his dad was freed. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, his father, so Garrett's father was the son of John Hunt Morgan, who was a Confederate colonel. Hmm. So his dad's kind of like, his grandfather's white, because this colonel's white, so his dad's like kind of, I think, kind of half and half. Sure. Um, No doubt there was probably the raping of a slave that went on there. I mean, it's it's the South pre-1960, so... Sign of the times. So it's probably, yeah. yeah, that's probably something that went on. Um, his mother was, so this is a Garrett's mother was of Elizabeth Reed and she was of native American and African descent. So he's kind of, so he's African American. He's also got some native American blood as well. And uh, she was the daughter of a Baptist minister. Hmm. So in his mid teens, anyway, so he grows up with them there. His dad is, um, like I said, he was a, he was a freed slaves mom. Just kind of worked around the house. I don't know. They didn't say anything really specific about what she did. Uh, But when he was growing up, they moved to Cleveland to look for work. He specifically moved to Cleveland. I don't know if his family... It it said he, in his mid-teens, moved to Cleveland. Didn't say whether his family moved with him, but maybe not. I mean, if he was like 15 or something like that, I guess it's like... It's 18, what, 85 at that point? (laughs) You can walk and make money on your own. Right. So anyway, he goes to Cleveland, and that's where a majority of the story is going to take place, is Cleveland, uh, looking for work. So he starts by working for a wealthy businessman and trying to increase his education. 
He had only gotten an elementary education because he had to work his parents' farm. And so he hired a personal tutor to increase his education and eventually started working for a sewing machine factory. And that was going to be very important later. So the sewing machine factory was this first, his kind of first major venture while also having a tutor. It's kind of, it's, it shows kind of his um, drive to not be, to not settle for anything. Because he was like, I had this elementary education. He had a pretty decent job working for this wealthy businessman. But he's like, I'm going to keep paying money and keep getting a better education. Sure. While he's working. I did that. <laughs> Once he learned the inner workings of sewing machines and how to fix them, he obtained a patent, his first patent, for an improved sewing machine and opened his own business. And uh, the business was successful, and he married a Bavarian woman named Mary Ann Hassock, and they would go on to have three kids. That's the last I'm going to mention of his wife. They didn't really mention his wife in a whole lot of the, in all the sources that I was reading, but he seemed to be a pretty, like, pretty decent family man. There's no, like, Alexander Hamilton thing going on here where it's... Uh, there's like affairs and stuff going on. It's not going to be that dramatic. Kind of like your uh, your heart surgery guy. Yeah, where men are just running amok and doing whatever they want. Exactly. Doing whomever they want. Doing what and whoever they want. However, she's still completely erased from this story. So, Who? The wife. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't mention her in any of the historical... The, the historical documents about him. I mean, I'm sure, it, but it's about his inventions. So I wasn't reading specifically into his life so much. You just made a very big point of this is the last I'm going to say about her because they don't say anything. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I'm just, I'm just referencing it. I'm, it, what I mean is it's not something you have to remember. <laughs> Great. Well, when they write the history of your life, <laughs> I hope they don't say shit about me. <laughs> I wonder who will write the history of my life. We'll see. Anyway, let's get back to Garrett Morgan, shall we? <laughs> so he is looking to use his improved sewing machines to try and give himself some financial security, give himself and his family financial security. So in 1909, he encounters a woolen fabric that was scorched by a sewing machine needle. This was a common issue at the time since sewing machine needles moved so quickly. When they're hammering the... Friction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So determined to fix the issue, he experimented with and created a chemical solution that reduced the friction created by the needle. Okay. Cool. That's awesome. But he also observed that the hairs on the cloth, after he had applied the the solution to the needle, were noticeably straighter. So he's like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. So he tests the solution on neighboring dogs and later himself. And he, without trying, invents like a hair straightener. And he markets it um, to African Americans because you know, they have very tight, curly hair, right? So sure. he markets it directly to African Americans. He, he creates a, a company called the G.A. Morgan Hair Refining Company, sells the cream, and it was so successful that he was given financial freedom and was able to pursue other interests. Like, he could have called it quits there. Sure. He just he just invented hair straightening cream for African Americans, and he was like, he could have been done. What a great story. See you next week, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, no, we're not done there. Now we're going to get to his first major invention. Okay. And this is where it starts getting pretty hardcore. So, March 25th, 1911. So this is three years after the woolen fabric 
uh, three years after he kind of comes up with this idea for straightening, straightening hair, the hair straightener. March 25th, 1911, a fire erupts at New York's Triangle Shirt Waist Company, killing 146 garment workers. Huh. So this hit close to home for Morgan since he had worked in Cleveland's garment industry. He was worked, probably still dabbling in it at the time. Sure. Uh, the fire brought up the inadequacy of fire codes and safety equipment and put him on a national stage. So all of a sudden, this huge fire breaks out in New York. 150 people die within a building. Mm-hmm. And now they're like, well, we should probably do something about that. So Morgan decides that he's going to do his part and tries his hand at developing an effective mask to block smoke inhalation. Most fire-related deaths are due to smoke inhalation, causing pulmonary complications, which is still true to this day. At the time, obviously, but still true now. Sure. Carbon monoxide is very attracted to hemoglobin, which carries oxygen in the blood, and the carbon monoxide prevents the hemoglobin from releasing the oxygen, so when you start inhaling smoke, you're essentially suffocating the body from the inside at a cellular level, which is, when I read that, I was like, that's bananas. That's crazy. You're suffocating from the inside out, essentially. I guess you would never suffocate from the outside in. (laughs) I guess if someone's strangling you, then you're suffocating from the outside. I guess. I didn't think about that. Anyway, (laughs) so um, one of the sources I was reading had an interview with with Garrett Morgan's granddaughter, whose name is Sandra Morgan. And she said that one of the inspirations he took from for his new smoke inhalation blocking mask, we'll just call it a mask, uh, he took inspiration from elephants for his invention. So he observed that circus elephants would stick their trunks out of tents to get fresh air. And he was like, oh, I wonder if I could do something similar with a mask. So he designed a device that would draw air through a long... I'm going to try and describe this to you. I tried to write this out in a a description well enough that hopefully you can paint a picture in your head of what it looks like. You can put up a picture um, to go along with it when you post this episode. But So it's a device that draws air through a long tube that's hung near the ground like a tail behind the person it diverges at the tailbone level into two hoses that snaked up either side of the wearer's rib cage and below the armpits finally entering the mask a hood resembling a beekeeper's helmet like serpentine walrus tusks so they kind of like cir- over the left shoulder and then connected to the right side of the face over the right shoulder connected to the left side of the face i think they had this kind of thing in like one of the, um, like the Mockingjay, what the hell is that called? The Hunger Games. Like, oh, maybe. I th- I'm pretty sure that's what I'm thinking of. I was drunk when I saw the first one. I haven't seen any <laughs> of the other ones, so I, it beats me. Okay, well, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's what I'm thinking of. But like I can picture exactly, like I think I've seen what you're talking about. I think I know what you're saying. And when I saw the, when I originally was reading these articles and saw the pictures, I was like, oh, I think I have seen that before. Yeah. At least the concept of it. So he comes up with this brilliant invention that draws air from the ground. Remember, that's why they tell you to get low when there's smoke because the smoke rises. And there's usually fresh air near the ground so that this trunk-like hose is dragging behind you and it's pulling fresh air up to your face with um, uh, using those hoses. So, in case you forgot, Gary Morgan is an African-American. So naturally... Selling his mask idea, as brilliant as it is, doesn't go well because people are racist. Because it's 1911. Yeah. 
So he runs into racism. He's trying to sell his invention. But he comes up. Uh, he's he's not to be determined. He comes up with a pretty, a pretty great idea. He goes and buys a bulldozer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no kill dozers in this Part one. Two. <laughs> the original kill dozer. No, no, no. He doesn't buy. He doesn't buy a bulldozer. But he did do something that was. Mm, I don't know how. I w- I won't say it was ethical, but I'll say it was. Well. We'll say that he did what he felt he had to do. How about that? You, that seems to be the theme in your stories. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. There's no death involved in this. Well, we'll get there. Anyway, so Morgan hires a white actor to pose as the inventor of his gas mask, while Morgan himself dresses up as an Indian chief. Here's where it gets a little sketchy. Morgan then would fill a tent, maybe a TP, right? with noxious smoke, and have the actor entertain the crowd while Morgan would don the breathing device and slip into the tent. He would then stay in the tent for about 30 minutes before emerging safely. And people, ooh, ah, holy smokes, literally. (laughs) It's amazing that he's able to live in this tent with this noxious smoke. And this is how he was able to sell his gas mask invention, by hiring some dude who just happened to be white right. and was like, hey, man, can you just go entertain these people? Like, they won't take me seriously. I don't feel like he needed to dress up like an Indian chief. But right. maybe, I mean, white people didn't really like Native Americans back then either. So maybe... Well, you did say that he had some Native American in him, right? Yeah, his mom. I was mean, saying. at least he's appropriating his own culture. I guess. <laughs> I was just like, you could have just... Done it. If you just put the mask on, no one would have known anyway. Anyway, that's what he does. Business booms, and uh, this gas mask would go on to be the blueprint uh, that was used for World War One gas mask for mustard gas and all that stuff. That like quintessential one that you see with the two like things on the side. Yeah, pretty much. They they simplified it for sure, but because they had to make it mobile at this point, and he's got hoses draped over the whole body and everything. Right, you're literally the most conspicuous that you can be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, let's talk about Cleveland for a second now. At the time, Cleveland is about the fifth largest city in the United States, and the population is booming. So much so that it's starting to overwhelm the sewer system and dangerously started poisoning the city's water supply. So, they have this great idea. They're right next to Lake Erie. Plenty of fresh water there, right? Their idea was to build waterworks tunnels that would extend out past the contaminated water. So, they were dumping all this contaminated water into Lake Erie, and they're like, we'll just build tunnels that go past that, and then we'll use that for our drinking water. I don't know if that's like a final solution kind of thing, where they're like, we're just going <laughs> to go deeper into the lake, and that water will be good enough. So a bunch of... But uh, let's not stop doing what we're doing to make it literally shitty. <laughs> let's just right. go over there. Sure. So these... Uh, I'm going to say men because it was probably men at the time. Uh, They were nicknamed the Sand Hogs. These are the men who would dig tunnels. And they had to dig through uh, the lake bed, which included sand, gypsum, limestone. Most importantly, though, natural gas. Mm. So more than three trillion cubic feet of natural gas lies beneath Lake Erie. That's a lot of natural gas. It is. So on the night of July 24th. 1916, the Sandhogs struck an explosive pocket while digging. 
120 feet beneath the waves, and it blew up their tunnel. The blast left the twisted conduit pipes littering the tunnel floor, tore up railroad tracks inside the corridor, and noxious smoke was curling off the rubble. When the, du- when the dust had settled, 11 tunnel workers were dead. Two rescue parties entered the tunnel searching for survivors, but they didn't have the proper equipment to handle the smoke and fumes. 11 of the 18 rescuers died, so we're at the 22 dead already. Should have brought a canary. Should have brought something. 11 hours later, 11 hours later, the Cleveland police go, hey, isn't there an inventor in town that came up with something that helped with like smoke and noxious fumes and stuff? Yeah. 11 hours after the incident, they get a hold of Morgan. And they request his assistance. So his granddaughter describes it that they, him, Morgan recruits his brother and it's the middle of the night. So they go, they, they jump into their car, which is just loaded with this equipment because they've been trying to sell it. So it's just loaded with this mask, I mean, so to speak, mask. And really, it's a whole suit kind of thing. This equipment and they're in their pajamas. It's he, so he gets this phone call, and him and his brother, they run down there. They get to the lakefront, and between the two of them, they're able to save two lives, and they recovered four of the bodies before the rescue efforts were stopped, but before the police were like, we can't let this go on any longer. So, but they did save two people. The next day, he and his brother received no credit for their heroic efforts. New York Times, Los Angeles Times, and Chicago Tribune all picked up the story, all failed to mention them at all. And even mentioned others as heroes in place of them. Rude. Morgan was furious. Yeah. Wrote a letter to the mayor of Cleveland, Harry Davis at the time, saying, quote, I am not a well-educated man. However, I have a PhD from the School of Hard Knocks and Cruel Treatment. Find me a more edgy statement. So, <laughs> that's... That's pretty crazy. He's like, he, all right, Annie. He's just mad, Annie. <laughs> so we'll get to we'll get to what happens about that later because he eventually does get recognized, um, but but it's not so much much later. Uh, let's talk about some of his other inventions after that. So Morgan continued to be a keen observer. Like I said, at this point, he's independently wealthy because of his hair cream. Like he can just kind of invent and do whatever he wants. So he's he's being very observant. He's focused on fixing everyday life problems. Like he sees someone having an issue and he's like, I bet you I can fix that. So he dabbles in all kinds of things, including hats, belts, fasteners, probably invented um, what he calls overalls. Or were the ones that come over the top? Overalls. Yeah. Are they? He probably invented those. I don't know if he did, but... <laughs> we're giving him credit for it anyway. We're going to give him credit for it anyway. Very so, see a need, fill a need. Well, yeah, exactly. That's and one of the... Go ahead. Sorry, we were talking about robots earlier. Um, that movie? Yeah. That's like kind of the whole premise of the movie is that one of the robots is like a, a poor kid, but he is an inventor and like tries to go to the big city and invent all this stuff for a big company and their company motto is like, see a need, fill a need. That's exactly what Morgan was doing. One of the things he starts yeah. to really dabble in is car parts because Garrett A. Morgan was the first black man in the city of Cleveland to own a car. Now, I personally can't imagine being the first person to do anything. So, the fact that he was the first black person to own a car in Cleveland, that's pretty wild. Yeah, that's a big 
It's a big thing. Still no credit for that tunnel explosion, though. <laughs> nah. I anyway. mean, was there anything in the paper about the first black man owning a car? Probably <laughs> not. Probably not. Probably not. How does he know? I don't know. That's another. That's a good question. I mean, there probably weren't a whole bunch of cars at the time, so you probably knew like the fifteen people that had cars. I'm, well, I in mean, town. the fifteen. Didn't you just say that Cleveland has the fifth highest population in the country? <laughs> well, yeah, but our the country wasn't enormous. There back aren't then. seventeen people in the country. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> it's just in Cleveland. Well, okay, continue. So anyway, so he educates himself on the mechanical workings of the automobile, not not unlike the sewing machines. He starts working with sewing machines. He learns how they work, starts fixing them. Same with the cars. He uh, eventually would go on to develop a frictionless drive clutch. I don't drive a stick. I don't know what that means. I tried to look it up. It still didn't make any sense. But anyway, (laughs) for all you car people out there, Morgan invents the frictionless drive clutch. And somehow makes driving vehicles easier. Yeah, I can't figure out what that would mean either. <laughs> I imagine it's a drive clutch that's frictionless. But well, sure. I don't know exactly what that means in terms of, is that better steering? Easier, Probably easier shifting if it's the clutch, because don't you push the clutch to then shift the gears? Yeah, maybe it's just like easier to push in. Yeah, maybe. You don't have to like you know, Maybe you really had to lean on it. Yeah, who knows. So, however, his most invention and most important invention regarding vehicles would come after yet another tragedy because the saying goes necessity is the mother of invention okay that's true so a few years after the lake erie explosion morgan witnesses a horrific accident between an automobile and a horse-drawn carriage at an intersection like you might have witnessed car-on-car collisions at an intersection the only thing worse than car on horse is probably car on pedestrian. But car on horse and carriage has got to be pretty bad. <laughs> car on horse and pedestrian at the same time. I mean, that's rough. Car on horse pulling pedestrian. <laughs> and everything was made of wood back then, so... Even the car. Well, not the car. Probably not the car, <laughs> but that carriage was probably made of wood. The horse isn't going to be dragging around like iron. You need like 15 horses, like Santa's sleigh. So, this car versus a wooden carriage, I'm sure the carriage just explodes. Oh, yeah. So, he witnesses this, in, this collision at this intersection, and he takes notice that traffic signals at the time were binary. They were stop oh, yeah. and go. Yeah. All you had was green and red. And so, his granddaughter, again, explains, she says, quote, My grandfather's great improvement was the all hold, which is now the amber or the yellow light on a on a three-light traffic signal. So he comes up with this idea, and immediately, like, so i got to give this guy credit. He immediately acquires patents for this version of the modern three-way traffic signal in the United States, Britain, and Canada. Ask me right now how to get a patent in the United States for anything. I don't know how. This guy in 1913... Is like, I'm going to get one in the United States, Britain, and Canada before anyone can else can come up with anything else better than this. Uh-uh. Guy's a genius. I guess, yeah. I mean, and a bajillionaire. Oh, yeah. He sells, he eventually sells the patent to General Electric. You know, GE. Yeah. They're still a huge company to this day. <laughs> sells it to them for $40,000. 
of his in his day, which is the equivalent to about six hundred thousand dollars nowadays. Should have got more. I know, still got cheap, more. right? But <laughs> I mean, still, if someone, if I came up with an idea where all I had, to, all I had to do was come up with the idea and patent it, and I didn't have to worry about making it, and a company was like, "We'll give you six hundred thousand dollars for that idea right now." I'm like, "Done, take it." I don't. Have to, I don't have to do anything else. Hmm. I'd be okay with that. So, outside of inventing, Morgan also supported the African American community throughout his lifetime. He was a member of the NAACP. He donated to multiple Negro colleges, and he opened an all-black country club. That was actually part of what he did with that six hundred thousand dollars. Was he opened an all-black country club that had a dance hall and uh, rights. Yeah, I'm sure they were. It'd be weird if they hired only white people to work there. I wonder if he did that. I don't know. Like some weird kind of weird weird reverse racism. Anyway, in 1943, uh, Morgan develops glaucoma and loses most of his sight as a result. And on July 27th, 1963, Garrett Augustus Morgan passes away in Cleveland at the age of 86 after an illustrious and incredible life. However, before he died... He was honored by the U.S. government for his traffic signal device and was recognized by the city of Cleveland as a hero of the Lake Erie Rescue. So eventually, thankfully they did that before he died. Right. But on his deathbed, he's like, it's been 84 years. (laughs) I can still smell the fresh natural gas. (laughs) (laughs) You can't smell. They wouldn't have been able to smell the natural gas then. Remember, now they put, they make it smell like rotten eggs, right? So that you know when there's a gas leak. Then that's why people died because they couldn't smell it. It smells weird down here. (laughs) That's just Bobby farted. (laughs) They didn't know that when they lit a match or whatever, boom, now got blowed up. Anyway, Morgan's legacy lives on at the Emancipation Centennial Celebration, Chicago, Illinois, in August of 1963. So this is one month after his death. uh, Morgan was nationally recognized. This was, so August of 1963 would have been 100 years since the Emancipation Proclamation. And his granddaughter mentioned in that, in that interview that he had wanted to live, like he wanted to be at that 100-year celebration of the Emancipation Proclamation, just didn't make it. So that, that kind of sucks, but yeah, right. at least he was recognized at that event. So uh, legacy continuing in, Cle- in the Cleveland, Ohio area, there's the Garrett A. Morgan Cleveland School of Science and the Garrett A. Morgan Water Treatment Plant, which is, I guess that's how they've solved the water issue <laughs> <laughs> for the city of Cleveland. They created a water treatment plant, named it after him. Good for them. It was named in his honor. Uh, there's an elementary school in Chicago named after him. An elementary school bearing his name opened in the fall of 2016 in Lexington, Kentucky. Not Paris, Kentucky. Interesting. And uh, in Prince George's County in Maryland, there's a street named Garrett A. Morgan Boulevard. In the adjacent Metro Stop, Morgan Boulevard also bears his name. So, over on that east side, he's pretty, he's gotten some recognition. He's getting his name around there. So, and I mean, finally, ultimately, his legacy lives on at every stoplight you encounter. So the next time you casually drive through an intersection when the yellow's light, or when the light is yellow, as you're rolling through instead of stopping, you could thank Garrett Morgan for making sure it was you're running a yellow light and not a red light. I'm not sure why you had to get personal with it, but I will. I said so. running yellow lights, not running red lights. 
Most of the time they are yellow, and then they just turn red unexpectedly. So. Right, yeah. Well, <laughs> you can take, you can thank Mr. Morgan for that. Because he, it without him, it would have just went from green to red. And then where would we be? <laughs> we'd all be dead. No, if it was up to me, you'd have a bunch of blown tires, remember? So dumb. Anyway, that's our story for this week. That was a good one. Again, apologies for any sniffling, coughing, sneezing you might hear that doesn't get edited out. Mispronunciations. General idiocy. Yeah. Alexander Graham Bell. Why you gotta call me out? <laughs> I want to divorce it. It's just, it's just funny. That's all. Whatever. You didn't know his name either, so. Yeah, that was weird. Like, I had a, that's one of those things, like, when you're put on the spot. Oh, what's the name of the guy? So, yeah, it's George Washington Carver. Like, how, how could you forget that? No <laughs> one. Like this? Yep. So that's all we got for you. Um, why don't you go ahead and talk about the social stuff? Yeah. One more time. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at History and History Podcast. I'll post, like, pictures and stuff about him and his life and his stuff and whatnot. His yeah, we'll get, that, we'll get that breathing device up there. Sure. Probably don't need yeah. a picture of a... Yellow stoplight. Unless you do, and I'm gonna do it anyway. All right. I'm gonna put one from. There's his original Canada patent. Or his original patent is online, so you can see what he drew up to be like. This is what I'm thinking. It doesn't look. It looks a little bit like what they have now, but not quite. They've definitely made major improvements to it. Well, that could be interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll thanks for listening, everyone. Sorry, continue. <laughs> so we'll find us there and look at those pictures. All right, that's our story. Uh, thanks for listening today, everyone, and we'll catch you next week where Alex will tell Alex will have another story for us. I will. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.